It's so good to be back. I missed you guys so much. Um, you know, time away, uh, as they say, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And I, I genuinely missed our church. Um, every Sunday, I would tune in and listen to the sermons that were being preached. And uh, for one, before we dive back into Romans, I just wanted to thank um, our staff, particularly Pastor Denise, but all of our staff. Um, my gosh, the, tr the tremendous job they did this past month, just caring for our church, leading our church, serving our church, and making it possible for me to even get this time away. I'm so grateful. The other thing I want to uh, mention um, so that we could really appreciate the circumstance that God has afforded our church, uh, we had five Sundays in July, and three out of those five, the sermons were preached by people in our very own congregation. And I listened to those sermons, and I was blown away. Like, we, uh, and outside of those Sundays, throughout the year, you've had opportunities to listen to Andrew Oliver preach or Donald. These are folks within our community that on any given Sunday, they can step up and preach a dynamic, transformative word. I don't know if you realize how spoiled we are. As a church, that's not the norm. Trust me, take my word for it. I talk to pastors all the time, um, and it's not the norm. And so I just want to give God praise for that. Also celebrate our leaders. And could we give them a hand and just we're so grateful for the folks that God has blessed our community with. So grateful. We're going to dive uh, back into Romans, and essentially what I'm going to be doing for the next couple of weeks is kind of filling up the passages of Scripture that weren't covered during the month of July. Um, folks faithfully preached the text they were given, but as you all know, Romans is a very dense book. Um, there's a lot that can happen in a few verses, and so we're just taking the time to cover the verses of Scripture that we didn't get a chance to spend some time in. So we're going to pick up from Romans chapter 3, verse 27. I want to prepare you. Uh, if you're someone that doesn't read uh, large portions of Scripture in one setting, I'm about to do that to you. And so um, just prepare yourself. There's going to be a lot of Scripture coming at you. I want to encourage you later this week to spend some time slowly reading the text that we're going to get into because there's so much richness here. Let's begin. Romans chapter 3, verse 27 and onward. It says, Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works... He has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. 
Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise of Abraham and to his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs. Faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Verse 17, as it is written, I've made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to gather in your presence with your people and to come under the authority of your word. We ask that you would speak to us, meet us, give us soft, attentive hearts to hear you speak to us. Holy Spirit, glorify Jesus. Reveal him to each and every one of us. And may we grow in our love and our affection for you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Uh, I have a friend of mine who told me this story that um, honestly was unforgettable because uh, they managed to forgive their parents. Um, I would have held on to this for a while, I'll be honest. Um, this is what happened to this friend of mine. Um, as you know, New York City has very competitive, um, specialized high schools. 
Um, it's a very stressful uh, process. Um, it's an intense process, very selective. And as a result, if you get into one of these high schools, um, it kind of cha- can change your life. You have a status. It's almost like there's two New Yorks, those who went to specialized high schools and those who didn't. Um, and so uh, it's an intense process, very competitive. And my friend, with a lot of pressure, was put on her to get into this school. Um, lots of studying, lots of cramming, lots of test prep, no hanging out with friends, just you better focus, you better do it, a lot of pressure. And she got in. She got accepted to Stuyvesant High School. This high school, many folks that I know back in the day, I don't know if it's the same now, but back in the day who got accepted would say college was a breeze compared to Stuyvesant. Like it was that kind of a competitive environment, and they learned a lot. And the next day after she got her acceptance papers, she finds out her family's moving to Long Island. She cannot go to the school. I don't, like, I, exactly. I don't know about you. I would have been like, wait a second. You put all this pressure on me to get into this school, and all along you were planning to move us outside of the zone. I wouldn't be eligible to go because of a decision you made, and you told me nothing about this. I don't know how she came to a place to forgive. When she asked her mom, why did she do this? This was her response. I wanted to be able to say that you got in, but that we chose for you not to go. Some of you are looking, you're you're asking a lot of questions like, tell me last names, Chris. I want to know. I'm not going to do that. And so they wanted to be able to boast. My daughter got in, but we chose not to. Why? Because in their circles, they did not want to feel less than. When they talked about their kids, they wanted to be able to say, oh, my kid is better than your kid. They're definitely on the same level. They could have gone. We chose not to. Now, some of you, like, I know I, I, I can read rooms pretty good. Some of you are like, oh, my gosh, these deplorable people are so broken. I would never do that. That's just so, so, a, a level of boasting and, the, the, oh, so, so broken. I hate to tell us this, but the fact is, is that Maybe you and I are not boastful in that way. Maybe we wouldn't go to those lengths. But every single one of us in this room is boastful. Some of you are like, Chris, you clearly don't hang out with me. You don't know me. I'm hang out with me. You know I'm, I'm the exemption. Hear me out. Because I know you're probably recoiling because we have negative associations with boasting. Um, some of us, we have those friends or those acquaintances where they, you don't even have to cue it up much. You just say, hey, how are you? Oh, I just came from Turks and Caicos on my way to Amsterdam. You know, oh, that's just what I do on Saturdays, you know, or just, or they just can't wait to drop, you know, like, just like, oh, yeah, this reminds me of a lunch I used to have in Cambridge where I went to school. You know, like, they just can't, they just can't wait to drop it. And, and, and so some of us, you're, you're like, I'm not boastful. I'm not like that. And so you're resistant to accept the idea that you and I could be boastful because you have these negative, extreme uh, examples. However, here's why we're all boastful. In the face of insecurity, doubt, or fear, each and every one of us gravitates towards something that we put our confidence in and says, because of this, I'll be okay. 
That's our boasting. And so for some of us, it's, you know, the economy's crazy. I don't know what's up, but at the end of the day, I went to a really good school. I'll be okay. Or, uh, you know, the future doesn't, I don't know what's going to happen, but look at my relationships. These are really rock-solid relationships. I can count on these people no matter what. doesn't matter. We'll be good. Or you may look at your bank account and say, I have enough put aside. Yeah, I'm not a millionaire, but I'm good. We'll, be fig- we'll figure this out. Uh, or you look to your ethnic pride or to your family of origin or a skill set, something you have. We all, in the face of insecurity, doubt, fear, there's something that we gravitate toward and say, because of this, I will be okay. We all boast. And I get... Some of you, it, it, I had kind of this visceral response to it. I'm like, but can't we be proud of certain accomplishments? Like, is, what's, what are we saying here? Like, uh, to boast is, is negative, and so you can't be proud of your accomplishments. You can't celebrate what you've done. Um, I want to I make sure we're clear on this, that we're, we're saying things accurately. I, as many of you know, I was born in Puerto Rico, but I was raised in New York. I was raised in Brooklyn since I was six months old. Um, and so I feel like I'm more New York than I am even Puerto Rican. Um, and I'll be honest, I'll confess, there's a day in the year that I have a difficult relationship with, and that is the Puerto Rican Day Parade. I have a difficult relationship with it. I didn't expect applause, but thank you, Maritza. Fellow Puerto Rican, she's solidarity. I have a difficult day with it. Here's why. There's certain things that happen on that day that are difficult for me to be proud of. That, that I'm just like, that's not my culture at its best. I don't celebrate that. Um, I, I don't think that's what people should know us by because I've seen the beauty of our culture. Um, and so I struggle with that. But the other thing, too, is that I also, I can't relate to a certain history that when I, re, when I understood the history, now all of a sudden it made sense. If you know on the Puerto Rican Day Parade, you will see precisely 10.5 billion Puerto Rican uh, flags everywhere. People wearing a flag out of their ear, their nostril. There's flags everywhere. It's like a bit much, right? You know, like why, why so many flags? You may not know this, there was actually a certain point in the history of my people that it was illegal for them to wave our flag. And so because of all the empires and nations that have had uh, dominance over our island, it was illegal. And so on that day, many of the old school, old timers, they can remember the time where it was illegal to wave it and so they wave it with joy. Because they remember, I can, that resonates. I, I feel so much life when I think about what that means. But here's the fine line between celebrating accomplishments, celebrating good things, and boasting that goes off the grid. There's a difference between celebrating something versus allowing the thing you celebrate to become your God. It's almost as if it takes the driver's seat and God becomes a passenger. And now instead of God driving your life forward, 
it's that thing that has become first place in your life. And what the scriptures are telling us about spiritually what's been happening, if you know the flow of Romans, if you've been with us in this book, you know that there's been this systematic process that's been going where Paul's been slowly but surely picking at the idea that there is no advantage between by being a Jew over being a Gentile. That you could be a moral, religious, law-abiding, obedient Jew, and with respect to salvation, you have zero advantage to a Gentile who has none of that spiritual pedigree. And he's been making this case, and now he's bringing it to a head with this idea that there is no boasting, that no one has any ground to boast on their own spirituality, to stand before God and say, I have reason to exclaim why it's rightful, why it's logical, why it makes sense, why you should save me, why you should bless me, because I've done X, Y, and Z. And he takes as the most amazing case study to prove that point, he puts before us Abraham the father of the faith, the the, the most formidable person in the scriptures for the Jewish people because the Jewish people flow from, originate from his obedience to God when God calls him into a covenant. And at this point, the case is being made that if you actually look at the life of Abraham, the person that all of us, especially morally abiding Jews, would associate and say, God favored Abraham because of his obedience, we're being told that actually the reason why he was counted righteous was not what he did, was it was because he believed. And why this is an earth-shattering statement and moment is because if Abraham was considered righteous by God, declared righteous, credited righteousness to him because he believed, not because of what he did, then all of a sudden Gentiles can say, I can be righteous too. I don't have to have the spiritual pedigree of a Jew. I don't have to do X, Y, and Z works. If he was made righteous by faith, then we can be made righteous by faith. What's happening as Abraham's being presented as a case study of what this faith looks like, we're being put, we're being, what's being put forward to us is an example of redeemed boasting. Redeemed boasting. See, the issue is not that as people we boast in things or put our confidence in things. The issue is that we end up deriving our confidence, our identity, and our hope from these things. That's where the danger is. When something other than Jesus becomes the basis of our confidence, becomes what we boast in, we find ourselves in very precarious ground because anything other than God, it's a floor that's too weak to hold us. It's going to cave in. It's not, it can't sustain the pressure. The, the, we, we put all this pressure on our jobs, on our possessions, on our accolades, on our relationships to give us joy, to give us meaning, 
to give us delight, to sustain us through difficult times. And the fact is we're putting a lot of pressure on a floor that's going to cave in because it's not strong enough to sustain it. And yet we do it all the time. We boast in these things. We put our confidence in these things. And in Abraham, we're seeing someone who could not put, at the end of the day, his confidence could not be placed in what he did. His confidence could only be placed in the Lord. I remember during the height of the pandemic, as it was kind of stabilizing, um, you know, because if you were in New York, you know that we fully participated in the pandemic. You know that, right? Because I talked to friends in the South, and I'm like, how was it? And they tell me their experiences. I was like, we had very different experiences. And so in New York, we fully participated in it. And so in the midst of it, a very kind friend, he knew we were kind of cooped up as a family, um, said, hey, have this house. And if you're, if you're able to figure out how to work remotely or whatever, take your kids there and let them run around. Um, and so I'm like, oh my gosh, we gotta take advantage of this. And so now I really wanted to be husband of the year during this time. And so I told my wife, I said, babe, I'm gonna take all four kids. I'm gonna take them away. You're gonna get a break. No kids for a couple of days, right? Ain't I amazing? And so, but this was my plan. Um, because I wanted to be able to, and she told me, she was like, that's a bad idea. You're not going to be able to do it. And I was like, watch me. Watch me do it. Um, but mama didn't raise no fool. I immediately called my sister, my, my niece, and my mom. And I brought my best friend. And I said, um, hey, you guys want to come and stay at a really great house free of charge? And it was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, well, you're going to help me babysit too. And so while I work... Master plan is working. It's perfect. I'm getting my job done. The kids are having fun. Every day my wife is checking in. You okay? Everything fine? I'm like, I got this. It's good. Ten minutes away from leaving. We're cleaning the house. Like I'm the type, if someone does something kind to me, like I just, I want to communicate my gratitude. So I'm like, we're like cleaning the floors. We're going extra, you know, because I want them to come back and say, man, they left this house even better. Um, and so it's scurrying. And I made a parenting move that to this day I regret. The whole time we were there, Brielle, who was two at that time, we had her in this makeshift kind of uh, high chair. And she ate all her meals during it was perfectly fine while an adult was next to her. We had 10 minutes rushing. All the adults are busy. And so I asked Michael, who's seven, hey, sit next to your sister. She's done eating. Just sit next to her. We're going to be finishing up, and we're going to be good, and then we're going to leave. And in the midst of all this, all of a sudden, she topples over. And she begins to cry. And now I'm stressed. I'm running to see, is she okay? And immediately I'm like, oh man, my wife is gonna be right, you know? <laughs> she said I couldn't do it. And I was 10 minutes away from a flawless report. Um, and thankfully, Brielle was okay, but this is the not proud parenting moment. In my fear and frustration, I lashed out at Michael. I said, why did you do that? 
Why did you let her fall? He's crying. My niece is trying to talk to me. She's a grown woman. She's like, Theo, that, that's not cool. And as I'm realizing it, before I could even apologize, because Michael is a Hernandez, and so a witty comeback is in his DNA, he said, Dad, I'm seven. <laughs> he was trying to let me know, like, you put way too much pressure on a seven-year-old. You expected way too much. Apologized, hugged, called my wife. It's like, yeah, I couldn't do it. Um, I'm glad you laugh at my pain. Um, if our jobs could talk to us, if our relationships could talk to us, if our bank accounts could talk to us, if our optimism about the future could talk to us, if all the things that we put confidence in could talk to us, they would say something similar to what Michael said. They'd say, you're putting way too much on me. I can't sustain you. You think I'm what you need to be happy, to be fulfilled. You're putting way too much pressure on something that cannot deliver. We need to allow what we boast in to become the Lord. If we're going to boast, if we have this reflex to boast, then we have to allow God to redeem what we boast in and who we boast in so that in the face of insecurity and pressure and scarcity and doubt, our boast is not, I went to a great school, or I have this accomplishment, or I have this much money saved, or I have these relationships. Our boast is, I trust in the one who justifies me by faith. I trust in Jesus who died and rose from the dead. Imagine if when life gets difficult, rather than boasting in the things we tend to boast in, imagine if you and I grow in the discipline and the constancy and the habit of, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what's coming at me. I'm feeling insecure. I'm feeling fearful. I don't have the answers, but I boast in the Lord. My confidence is in him. You, you, you might have even gone to a good school. You might have lots in your bank account. You might have all the earthly things in place. But what would it look like to say, those things are good, but can I tell you what's even greater? I boast in the Lord. I boast in the one who saved me by faith. Not anything I could have done. And here's where Abraham is put forward to us as this amazing case study. Because here we find someone who obeyed God, and yet we're told that his obedience is not the thing that made him righteous. Did you get that? If there's any kind of obedience that should make us righteous, it should be you doing what God told you to do. If there's any reason to be confident, it should be that. Like, oh, why are you confident? Because I'm doing what God told me to do. Abraham does what God told him to do, and yet we find out that is not what saved him. That is not what made him righteous. What made him righteous was the fact that he believed that God could do what God was saying he would do. It wasn't his works that made him righteous. 
It was faith in the one who could guarantee what he was promising. What was God promising to Abraham? He was promising him children in the late winter of his life, a hundred years old. His wife, she's way past childbearing years, and God comes to him and says, from your offspring, a great nation, I'm making a promise, a covenant with you. And Abraham believed God was able to do that. Because he believed, it says it was credited to him, counted to him as righteousness. That's where his righteousness came from. Not from the very act of obedience, but from the posture of faith. You realize that one day when you and I stand side by side with Abraham, shoulder to shoulder, we could legitimately have the conversation say, Abraham, what made you righteous? And he could look to us and say, it wasn't my works. It was my faith in the one who promised. And we could look back to Abraham and say, oh my gosh, the same for us. You and I are in right relationship with God on the same basis that Abraham was. Not because of anything we do, but simply because we believe in the one who has promised to be who he is. Why is this important? For us as Christians, we follow Jesus and as we follow Jesus, let's be very clear, he will call you to obey him. If you and I say we follow Jesus, yet we never obey anything he tells us to, we are actually not really following Jesus. If there's no obedience from our life, we have to take a serious spiritual inventory and say, am I actually following Jesus? Because to follow Jesus would mean to obey him, to yield to him. As a Christian, the stories you're going to have of obeying God, the stories you probably already have. Some of you in this room, the things that God has told you to do and that you've done, and some of them have been difficult and really challenging. Some of your acts of obedience have been so private and hidden that the world doesn't know, but God knows. He's seen you obey. Some of your obedience has come with great sacrifice. You've lost friendships and relationships in order to obey the way you've obeyed. Your life has turned upside down in order to follow Jesus. And that is amazing and incredible and should be celebrated. But at the same token, what we're finding out, that should never be the source of our confidence. Our confidence should always be Siri wanted me to repeat it. Our confidence should always be not in what we have done or what we can do, but in who God is and the fact that our trust in him is the only reason why we can be counted as righteous. What did you and I do to be counted as righteous? Nothing. You didn't work at it. There's nothing. And even when you believed, what did you believe? You believed that God would do the heavy lifting. 
So like you can't even say, I trusted God. What did you trust him to do? To do what you couldn't do for yourself. So we can't even boast in our faith. Because what is our faith saying? We're trusting in him to do the impossible, what we can't do for ourselves. So you can't even say, I, I, I'm saved because I did X, Y, and Z. No, you, you and I did nothing to save ourselves. All we did was trust in the one who promised to save us. And when we did that, he credited that faith as righteousness. Do you know that right now, regardless of what you're struggling with, of what's tearing you apart, what's pulling you in this direction or that direction, regardless of your spiritual misses, your your struggles, your addictions, if you believe in who Jesus is and what he's done for us uniquely, and you believe that you couldn't do that for yourself, and you trust in Jesus in that way, the way the scriptures are telling us, that it will be counted to us who believe in him as righteousness, him who raised the dead Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. If you believe like that, then you're righteous. You're covered in robes of righteousness. You stand spotless before God, blameless, not because of anything you could have done to earn that status, but because you believed that God was making that possible. Every day as a follower of Jesus, you and I live this miraculous life because we know we were pulled out of waters that we couldn't swim. We know we were drowning on our own and there was nothing we could do, but we believed that the one who was stretching out his hand was able to save us. We grabbed onto his hand and believed, you can pull me out, I can't pull myself out. And when we put our faith in him, Jesus made us righteous. We're counted as righteous. Where has our boasting gone? Our boasting is no more. You and I can't boast in ourselves. And why is this good news? Because I'll tell you, so much of our anxieties, our stresses, our our brokenness comes from us boasting in things that will not deliver. And they leave us on the, on the edge of existence. And we know it's not sufficient. And until we shift our boast from these things that will disappoint us and won't deliver to the living God, we will remain in these cycles of brokenness and despair. But if you and I would allow God to redeem our boasting, the liberty, the freedom that comes from that, You can step into any room and feel confident, not because of anything you've done, but because of what's been done for you. You realize that? There's certain environments that are very performance-driven. I was recently, uh, I preached again for this church in Boston, and I was preaching to a bunch of Harvard students. And I'm in the room, I'm preaching, and if 
by my earthly standards, if I let that be what I determine my confidence in, I would feel very low. There's PhD students, people studying neuroscience, very, very bright minds. And I felt zero lack of confidence. You know why? Because my pedigree is not based on my earthly things. It's based on the one who saved me. And so it, even in rooms that feel bigger than you and I, you could stand tall and confident and say, I may not have this, I may not have that, but I have the grace of God who counts me as righteous by faith. It's a game changer of game changers to change what we boast in from any of these things to saying, my boast is in the one who died for me and rose from the dead. As we close and as the worship team comes forward, I want to admonish you and encourage you to begin to consider what this change might look like in your life. What are you afraid of? What are you stressed about? What's the uncertainty in your life? What are the things that are puzzling you that really bring up anxiety and fear? And think about the things that you normally boast in to calm those things, to get through it. Say, oh, I'll trust in this. Because of this, I'll be okay. What would it look like to shift what you boast in from those earthly things and saying, here's why I'll be okay. Because I believe in the one who died for me and rose from the dead. And by faith, he credits me as righteous by grace. That's my confidence. That's why I'll overcome. That's why I'll still be here tomorrow. That's why I don't know what may be coming at me, but I know I'll still stand because I trust in the one who was faithful to do what he did in Jesus. Imagine throughout your day, in those circumstances, you replace what you boast in. I can tell you on the other side of that will be freedom will be joy, will be peace, will be lightness if you and I can shift what we boast in. Could I invite us to stand at this time? And as we prepare to respond in prayer and song, I can't think of a better way to respond than by coming to the Lord's table to receive communion. Hopefully when you came in, uh, you saw at the tables that there's uh, communion cups ready to be partaken of. If you did not receive one, no worries. All you have to do is raise your hand and someone will come by momentarily and, and give you one and so that in a moment we'll together come to the Lord's table. And so if you could just keep your hand raised nice and high if you did not receive one so that we can partake of communion together in just a moment. As we prepare to go to the scripture, we can begin by opening the bread. with the bread in hand. 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, verse 23, says this. 
For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your broken body. We pray that as a people, our boast would be in you and what you have done, not in what we do and what others could do for us. As your body was broken for our trespasses, for our sins, and by your stripes, we are healed. So we thank you for your broken body. Let's receive the bread at this time. Let's prepare to receive the cup. Verse 25. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice of redemption and atonement. As the hymnist said, what can take away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's in your sacrifice that we place our confidence in. We will never be good enough, never be able to work our debt off. We're forgiven because you have made it possible and we trust in that alone. And we rejoice in that today, that you are that good, that you are that merciful. So we come and receive the cup as grateful people. We boast in what your sacrifice has done. Let's receive the cup together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Could I invite us, could we raise our hands in the presence of God? And in your own words, can we just begin to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your salvation, for the great hope and mercy that we find in you and what you have done, what you alone have done. We bless you. We praise you. Jesus. As we begin to worship in song and enter into a time of prayer and confession and joy, I want to remind you if uh, any of the words that were shared earlier resonated and you would like prayer, all you have to do during these next few moments is slip out of your seat and go to the back. The prayer team is to my right, to your left. They'd love to pray with you regarding those words or anything you need prayer for, anything the message might have stirred, anything at all, they would love to pray with you. Again, avail yourself of that over these next few moments as we begin to sing and worship. Let's turn our hearts to the living God. Let's worship him together.